Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast, where our heart is that everyone would experience true sanctuary in Jesus. We're currently in our Advent series, which we're calling Prepare Him Room, and we're looking to create space in our hearts as a community for God to break in this Christmas season. Uh, Just a quick note, our teaching often does include uh, some discussion and community response, and we do intentionally edit that out in order to preserve confidentiality in the Sunday experience. Uh, So you'll likely not hear the full content or context of the teaching. Uh, But still, our hope is that this will encourage you and equip you. And really, we're just so honored you would listen in. So here it is. All right, so we are in uh, Isaiah, probably one of the most famous Christmas passages, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm actually going to start a couple of verses early in Isaiah uh, verses, uh, where am I starting, in 21. Uh, it should be on your screen. Uh, and we're going to do what we normally do. So we'll read this out. This is not a time to zone out because uh, we're going to actually break into small groups and discuss this passage, see what this means. See what God is highlighting to you. So encourage you to really look and see what is God highlighting for you. Uh, we always break into groups and ask a couple of questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about people? So we'd love for God to speak through the text to all of us this morning. Why don't you break into a couple, or more than a couple of groups, group of three or four people, just however you want to kind of break it up. We'll take about five minutes to, for you to share, and then we'll come back. And as we do, discuss together. We've touched on a lot of themes uh, already about this passage. This is so good. Um, the, you know, you could, you could take this in a lot of different directions, um, but I hope not to talk forever. So the one, the one theme that I felt like God really highlighted to me is this idea of receiving. For unto us a child is born. Yeah, that's what it says, verse 6. For unto us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. How do we be a people that can receive the gift that God gives? The main idea is this, the whole Christian life can be described as a posture of receiving. How are we to receive well? I learned something this week. And it's that this, there's a good chance that there are people sitting in this room right now that have unclaimed rewards, unclaimed property that is waiting for you to go receive it. And we're not receiving it. It's true. Uh, Apparently, there's over $70 billion in unclaimed property for Americans alone. Uh, they have this, these laws on the books that if you have like a, it could be from like a bank account that has gone inactive or insurance payments uh, that are paid b- to beneficiaries, but they can't find the beneficiaries or for whatever reason, there's this, you know, people are holding money for other people and they can't locate who it belongs to. And so they're required to report it and send it to the government. And after a period of time, if no one claims it, then the government gets it. They love that. Um, but you can get a missingmoney.com. But the fact is, they estimate one out, to see if you have unclaimed property. The fact is, one out of seven of Americans, they estimate, 
have some form of unclaimed property, over 33 million Americans that they just don't know that they have access to. And I thought, what a great illustration for maybe the Christian life. Maybe there's some of us, maybe this community, there's promises, there's things, gifts to be received. There's things that God has for us in his kingdom that we just haven't laid claim of. They're waiting for us to go and receive. And so how are we to be people to receive well? We've been in this Advent series we've called Prepare Him Room, and we're looking at this phenomenon, this Christian, sorry, this Christmas message that can't be ignored it's throughout so many of the Christmas passages that the Savior, we hit on it this morning, that the Savior, God himself, came into the world. He entered our world, put on flesh and blood, and so many people, almost everyone, missed it. They didn't anticipate. They didn't see what was happening at his birth. It wasn't Herod. It wasn't Caesar. At his birth, it wasn't the high priest. It wasn't the Pharisees. It was shepherds because the angels told them, right? So many people missed it. Two weeks ago, does anyone remember what I sp- spoke on? Who I spoke on? Two characters. You guys are excused. <laughs> And Anna and Simeon, right? That these characters, Jesus, 30 days old, came into Jerusalem, the spiritual capital of the world, and no one recognized what was going on, except for these two individuals, elderly folks. And they lived the type of life where God was pleased to reveal what was going on. They poured themselves to devotion. It says Simeon was the devout and righteous. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was probably praying the verse that we read today, anticipating God. He had no reason to believe. God had been silent for 430 years. They were occupied. He had no reason. There was no evidence that God was doing something, and yet he was praying for it. Anna, right, she became a widow early on in her life. Instead of, in in the midst of incredible sorrow and grief, and her whole life plans probably ripped from her, what does she, how does she choose to respond? It says she gives herself over. She dedicates herself to prayer and the fasting and to be in the temple and say, God, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And those are the people that God chooses to reveal to. The intersection of their lives and God's plan for the world happened at the end of their lives in that temple on that day. It's like amazing. How do we, how do we become those people? And then Sarah last week taught us beautifully about the theme of of why was God born in the manger? Why was he born in the stable? Why was he born in such obscurity and such dirty conditions? Because that's where there was room. And he's not afraid of the dirty conditions of our lives. But are we making room for him? Are we making room? Is there a place? And so today I want to continue on that and say, how do we become a people that receive well? If you want to encounter Jesus, if we want to encounter Jesus as a community in our lives, in this church, in San Francisco, if we want him to come and break into our lives again, we have to be ready. We have to make way. We have to, we have to ready ourselves, what? To receive, which is a paradox a little bit. How do we ready to do something so passive? How do we create a posture of receiving? Martin Luther in his commentary to Galatians, I think it's either Galatians or Ephesians. Don't fact check me. I promise he said this. He said, how are we to experience God's grace? I think it was Ephesians. How do we experience God's great grace? And he says, the only way that I can think to do it is the same way that ground is to receive the rain. Mm 
just soaks it up. It soaks it. It's supposed to start raining today throughout the, throughout the week. I just think, what's, what a great image, soaking up the rain, soaking up God's presence. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's what we're talking about today. I think the whole Christian life is marked by receiving. John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who did receive him, he became the right to become children. All we have to do is receive, and we have the right to become his child. <laughs> John 4, 14, Jesus says, Whoever drinks the water, what? I give him, will never thirst again. And it's not just to enter the kingdom. Second Peter 1, 3, it says, His divine power that he has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need is given to him. Our whole Christian life will be sustained through receiving the gift. John 15, 5, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Jesus has such a tiny opinion of us. <laughs> He's like, you can't do anything without me. It's almost like laughable. He's like, just don't even try without me. And I only say that because he did the same thing. He said, I only see I only do what I see the Father doing. Like, that's how he modeled life himself. And so I think, Emma, you are, you are hitting the nail on the head. We, we try. And this sermon, by the way, is aimed at me more than anyone else. Because this is my, my MO. This is where I go wrong so often. It's so easy for me to go off the rails. Like, what if I get up 15 minutes earlier? What if I go to, go to bed 30 minutes later? What if, if I just did something else, if I just did one more email, if I just did one more PowerPoint presentation, if I just, you know, just try to muscle it together, white fist it, maybe then I'll be able to, to see the results I have. Maybe if I send, check in with one more person, maybe they'll come back to church. <laughs> maybe if I send one more email, I'll get that business deal. Whatever it is, we like just try and try and try to white knuckle it. And I think God has been just trying to kind of get into my little brain. That it's the whole Christian life is just about receiving His grace for us today. For to us, a child, a son is given. For us, a son is given. This is what I'm calling the radical call to receive. The radical call to receive. And I think this is, I mean, it's just incredible. I, usually we don't include, when we read this Christmas message, the verses in chapter 8. And you could read the whole chapter if you want, but I just wanted to include at least those two verses because the contrast between before Christ and after Christ, it's just incredible the, in the context by which the Son is given. It's just in, incredible. We already hit on it. They will, then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fear and gloom. And they'll be thrust into utter darkness. And in that context, verse, verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. What did, what did they do to change their circumstance? What did the Israelites do? Does it say they called on God? Did they pray and fast? No, God just broke into the darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom 
for those who are in distress. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. God pierced through the darkness with light. Sometimes I, I've, I've learned we, we can kind of take this, this image of light, which is, you know, God is often described as light. In Genesis, it doesn't say God created light. In Genesis, you know, when he says on the, on the first day there was light, it actually said he just, there, he spoke and there was light. Other things he says he created, but light, it's almost like he just revealed himself. The sun isn't even created, I think, till day four, but light was day one. In Revelation, it says there's no sun. There won't need to be any sun because God himself will light up all of heaven, the new Jerusalem. God himself is light. And we forget sometimes um, our easy access to electrical light, <laughs> electricity, wasn't even really, it's only about 100 years old. It wasn't until 1925 that electricity became cheap enough for 50% of Americans to have access to it. And so, I don't know, have you ever found yourself um, in a situation, maybe at a, a dark, at, at night, where you're just like, you don't have access to the lights, either you're outside and it's just pitch black, you can't find the lights, and you're just groping around trying to find a way to, you guys are laughing, you must have had a recent experience, yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, when I was a kid, um, I had, a, I had a, a, a condition, I don't know what happened, but you know how you get like little sleepies, I don't know what it's called, but I got a lot more than just a little, and it would actually like close my eyes shut where I couldn't, where I couldn't open them anymore. Maybe that's happened to you all as a, as a kid or anything. But I would remember waking up in the middle of the night just absolutely terrified. I couldn't open my eyes. I was like fumbling around. I didn't know where the light was. I didn't know how to get to my parents' room, you know, to help fix it. And it was just terrifying. And I think that that's the image that we get. Like just complete darkness, grasping around, groping in the darkness for something to save us, something to find us. And that's, that's the image that Israel has right now. There's in the darkness, and I think we feel that in our world. It seems so dark. It seems like we want something to save us. It seems like we need a Savior. We need something, and, and we realize that unless something pierces from the outside, if we really know, like, we can't save ourselves. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we create technology, no matter how efficient we get, no matter how much we create elect electrical light, our conditions, like you were saying, the suffering changes and morphs a little bit, but it's still there. We need some intervention from the outside. If, if we're going to experience this good life, if we're going to experience meaning and hope and joy, we realized we can't unlock that door from the inside. It has to be opened from the outside in. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here. Carl Henry, or sorry, Isaiah is talking about right here about Jesus. The door to internal love and purpose in life is open from the outside. Carl Henry says this, the early church didn't say, I love this, look what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into this world. We're to be a church. We're to be a people. We're to be a community that doesn't bemoan what's happening out there, but says, no, in spite of that, this baby has come, and this baby is Jesus. He is 
the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. He is the everlasting father. Radic the, 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 the promise of what is given to us is incredible. I forget who said it, but like if you look at everything, maybe it was you, Scott. If you look at everything, you know, I, I forget who it was. Someone said it. If you look at everything that God is giving in this, I mean, it's just remarkable hope for our world. It's like, who doesn't want this? There's going to be no more need for warrior's boots. <laughs> Why don't we just burn him? Because he's going to bring peace. You're going to have a wonderful counselor. You're going to have someone that guides you. You're going to have a mighty God who can actually make things happen. You're going to have an everlasting father, someone who is the source of everything and yet is intimate enough to call you his child, the Prince of Peace. And his greatness is going to continue to expand and expand and expand. God's got fantastic gifts for us. That's the joy of Christmas. So my question is, why can it be sometimes hard to receive? And you can respond. Any of you, why, what blocks us from receiving a gift? You feel undeserving. You don't deserve the gift. Wow, yeah. There's a flip side to that, too. You don't feel like you need it. But they're both kind of pride, isn't it? It's both thinking so much of yourself, you don't want to accept the gift, or you don't feel like you deserve it. It's huge. Yeah. Yes. Yes, strings attached, or even maybe related to that. It's definitely a good one. Yeah, it's a transactional thing. If I accept this, and what is it going to come? Or skeptical of the intentions because you don't know, you don't trust, you don't have the relational connection with the giver. Think about, man, about 20 emails a day I get in my work account from people that are trying to give me something, and I just go directly to delete because I don't know who they are, and I, knew, I know they're just trying to get me into a clickbait funnel or something. It's just so they can sell me. Yeah. So I don't accept the free thing that they want to give me. Yeah. So we got pride. We don't deserve it. We don't need it, we feel like. We've got, we don't trust what's attached to that gift. You know, relational connection. Anything else? What would prevent us, block us from receiving a gift? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm an afterthought. Here's, let's see what I can find in my cupboard. Here you go. And I, I really, you know, is it, are you just trying to make me feel better? Yeah. Sometimes it's like you don't have time to unwrap it. Yes. You sit in the corner. Yeah. It's amazing. If you go to the next slide, I've got a few that I came up with. Pride, we talked about a little bit. Tim Keller gives a, a famous illustration um, on this point on pride. He says, he says imagine you, uh, it's Christmas morning, someone hands you a gift and you're so excited, you unwrap it and you pull it out and it's a dieting book. <laughs> okay. Uh, next person gives you a gift, you're so excited, you unwrap it. It's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Okay, I'm fat and I'm obnoxious. That's what my friends are telling me. 
So some gifts require us to swallow our pride, right? And actually, there's some of that in Christmas, too. It's like, oh, you can't open that door from the inside. You can't generate light from yourself. You can't self-actualize. You need a savior. You need someone from the outside. You are fat and obnoxious, right? And you have to swallow that pride. Uh, anyone have any packages stolen from Amazon recently? Or a car? <laughs> um, have it stolen. This one actually, I mean, it spoke to me. I mean, the, the parable of the soils, the first seed gets stolen, right, by the, by the vultures or the, the crows. They snatch away, and it represents the enemy taking our promises and snatching it away. Um, and I think all of the world conspires us from living this life. We have these promises, but the world wants to throw us these messages that you're not enough, right? That you don't deserve it, that you have to work, you have to earn it, you have to white-knuckle or white-fist it to get what God has for you. And it's such a lie, such a lie from the pit of hell. I be- this is me. I believe that I am my performance. I believe that I'm as ju- only as good as my latest results. I'm only as good. And I have to constantly say, no, enemy, you can't steal the truth, the gift that God has for me, that you came and gave me your son so I could live in you. To those who receive it, he gives the right to become a child of God. I want to receive your gift, Father. I won't let the enemy steal it. Never cash it in. It's kind of like yours. Um, you don't unwrap it. I think about this when we um, never cashed it in. When we moved, we were, we were given lots of gift cards over the years, and we have this terrible habit of, like, saving it because we always think, like, if we're going to go to that restaurant, we want to go at the perfect time or whatever. So we, when we moved from Nashville, we had this whole cabinet of, like, unused gift cards <laughs> that we never cashed in, and we, like, tried to frequently, like, in one month or one week, like, just use as many gift cards as possible, you know, but we actually left, ended up left Nashville and moved to San Francisco with all of these unused gift cards because we never actually used it, and God brought to mind um, this crazy thing. Think about this. When Jesus came back and, um, and rose from the dead, and he was on the earth for, for a period. He said he, he met 500 people, and he told them what? To go to Jerusalem, to wait on him until they received the Holy Spirit. So he appeared to 500 people. How many people were in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit? 120. There were 380 people that heard the invitation to receive the Holy Spirit, to be there on Pentecost, that missed out. They didn't get it. Now, some of those may, I, th- I believe, were, were, were came in later, but I don't want to be one of those 380 people that never receive what God has given. He's promised this gift. Just go there and wait to receive. I don't want our church to be <laughs> those 380 folks that don't receive what God has for us. I want to go to the upper room and receive everything he has. There's no trust, no relationship. We talked about that already, that we don't actually know the Father enough to know that He has good things for us, that when He, when he speaks, when He gives us these gifts, that He actually has our, in, our intention. He's, there's no transaction. There's, no, there's nothing that we can give to the equation to make Him you know, act in a certain way or to earn anything. There's no strings attached in the traditional sense. I mean, it'll cost us everything to give our lives to Him. But what we get in return is just off the charts. Like, there's no comparison. It's not what we think. False expectations. 
We think it's one thing, so we don't even explore it because it doesn't match our expectations. I mean, this gift that Isaiah said, it comes in a peculiar package. The person that's supposed to lead us to victory? A child? How weak and fragile. Sometimes the gifts God gives us doesn't look like we want it to look like. You may um, look back in your life and see God's gifts in your life that at the time you did not receive as a gift, (laughs) you know? Something that looked like a lot like pain or work or something unassuming, something unimpressive, and yet you look back and you're so thankful that God put that in your life and you recognize that thing as such a precious gift. But we miss it in the moment because it doesn't come like we think. It doesn't, it's, it, he doesn't answer the prayer in the exact way we want, but he answers the, the prayer in something that is good. Frederick Buechner says, When he seems most helpless, he is most strong. And just where we least expect him, he comes most fully. So what's the opposite of this question? We talked about what blocks us from receiving. How do we receive well? What, is it, what does it look like to become proficient at receiving well, this gift? Any ideas? Ask questions of the intent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Enter into a relationship. Yeah. Gratitude. Yeah. Receive it. Part of receiving it. Yeah. Being grateful, being thankful. Expect it? Yeah. Fostering anticipation for the gift. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually think this is a question that I can't answer for you. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us this morning, and this is a question. What does it look like for me to practice receiving well, to become really good at receiving everything you have. If the whole Christian life, God, is about receiving you, what you have from me, what does it look like in this moment for me to receive? I will suggest one thing, though. We often talk about obedience, and obedience is good, but obedience conjures up into mind like that, that idea of self-actualization, of grasping, of choosing every moment. But there is something, I think, even more that God calls us into. It's a little scary, but it speaks to this idea of receiving well, and it's this idea of surrendering. Surrendering. Um, someone told me, wh- there are questions that you can answer in your life that take care, that, a- that pre-answer a hundred other questions. And when you say yes to Jesus, everything he has for you, when you surrender your life, when you say, God, I don't, I don't care what it is, I'm going to say yes to what you have. It's like every other answer, every other question that you might ask in life gets taken care of. <laughs> like you can just say, yes, I'm going to live my life for you. Okay, should we move here or here? What do you want, God? Should I do this or that? I don't know. What do you want? Should I give to that Christmas offering campaign or not? I don't know. What do you want, God? It's like when you surrender yourself 
you get in this posture of receiving everything that God has. What does receiving well look like? I think it looks like uh, a life marked by a few things. Losing control of the illusion. Next slide, I think. Yeah, from striving to receiving. Losing the illusion of control. Stepping into the beautiful freedom of surrender. Melting away that feeling of being superior. Superiority and smugness and arrogance. And embracing gratitude. From kidding ourselves that our cynicism is sophistication. Stepping into a life of childlike wonder and delight. Leaving the exhaustion that comes from endlessly running that achievement script you're talking about. Stepping into a life of childlike wonder, delight, receiving fullness of life. Trusting that God is able to take care of us. Saint Ignatius of Loyola defined sin as an unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Trying to grasp because we feel like we know better So it does feel like surrender. But the truth is, when we do that, we trust that God wants our deepest happiness. He wants what is really best for us and what is good for us. Some encouragement. I just want to um, tell you, if if you feel like you're not going to ace this, if you don't feel like you can surrender well, if you don't feel like you're enough or you can't do this, Bonhoeffer has good news for you. Bonhoeffer says this, Thus, Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines himself towards us. The Holy One himself, God in the manger, God is coming. The Lord is coming. Christmas is coming. Rejoice. Oh, Christendom. John Gerstner says, all we need is nothing. The problem is, that's what we don't have. We all have something. But if you feel like nothing, if you feel like you're not there, good news. That's what God has when he breaks in. That's what God needs when he breaks in. So I think that the, the invitation this morning is to surrender, to actually continue to go. If you don't feel enough, I've actually felt so inadequate recently in my attempt to build a life of prayer. Like I want to be someone that just receives from God continually to pray. And I just grew so frustrated at what I felt like is my lack of, my my just noviceness at it. And I started beginning a prayer, began a prayer just saying, God, I suck at this. (laughs) Like, I can't even concentrate for like 15 seconds. Would you help me? Create a fire in my heart. I want that more than anything. God, would you help me? Help me. And so my prayers lately have just been, God, help me. I don't have it. I can't do it. Would you give me a hunger for you? Would you give me a desire for you? Would you let me receive? And you know what? I'm beginning to feel God answer that prayer like in new ways over the last few weeks, just feeling like his voice has come alive. And, and more than that, it's just like a posture of a heart. It's just like, oh God, I ache for you. I want you. There's so much darkness. There's so much, is that my, I don't want to even say that. Um, just different circumstances 
and realizing, oh God, I ache for you. I ache for you. And that's what God does. He gives us a soft heart. But it all started and it continues. Actually, it doesn't just start. It continues through. The way in is, is through brokenness. It's through humility. It's just saying, God, I need you. Apart from you, I can't even seek you, Jesus. Um, I'll end here. Henry Nouwen, if you know Henry Nouwen, great Catholic writer, um, amazing kind of contemplative writer. He's got a great Christmas Advent devotional. Really speaks to the soul. Um, but it came out at the end of his life that um, he actually secretly had struggled with a secret life, a life of same-sex attraction. He never gave in to that, but he, he always struggled with it. And towards the end of his life, he wanted to pick up a hobby. And so he did, like most kind of Catholic contemplatives do, um, he joined a trapeze troupe. Just kidding. He, no, that wasn't what, probably wasn't what you were expecting. But he joined a trapeze troupe. Uh, so picture, if you've ever read any Henry Nouwen stuff, uh, just an, uh, imagine him high flying on a trapeze. But he did that because he actually so related to the metaphor of the trapeze. And because when you're on a trapeze, if you're the flyer, I don't know, I've never done this before, but I've read, you're, if anyone wants to go, I'm sure in some, somewhere in San Francisco they got a studio, we could, we could try. But you're holding on and you have to jump and you, and then there's that moment where you just have to let go. And they tell you um, that, I mean, the experience apparently is, I mean, every instinct in your body when you let go and if you've ever tried to, like, fall from somewhere, you, you're, like, you know, clenching, trying to position yourself. But the way that has to work, you just have to free fall and stay there and almost let your body go limp and trust that the catcher is there to catch you. It's when you flinch, it's when you try, is when you're not going to get caught. But if you just let go, there's someone on the ground that yells, hep, and you let go, and someone catches you. And Henry Nouwen so related with that metaphor of just actually letting go um, through his life lived that when you actually let go someone will catch you and I think that's the message for us this morning again I think God wants to speak to us how are we to receive but I think it has to do with surrender and maybe there's something specifically that God wants us to do to surrender to actually lay still and let him catch us I'll end with this John Ortberg kind of picks up on this, on this uh, theme of, uh, of, of a trapeze. It said the word trapeze, the little bar between, sorry, the word trapeze, the little bar between the ropes that a trapeze artist has to let go of comes from the ancient Greek trapeza, meaning table. About the only time it is used in the New Testament is when the writer claims that Jesus gathers his friends around the table, the trapeza, what we now call the communion table, and teaches them that he will have to let go of his life for them, and that the only way to hang on to one's life is to let go. Then he climbs the cross and lets go. He hangs above the earth for three hours with his hands stretched out, not moving a muscle. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, he breathed. When he did that, he was saving us, and he was teaching us about trust. Here's the leap. God comes to you and says, let go. Will you let go? The entire Christian life is marked by receiving 
God has given us so much. I just feel it. I feel like we have just the tip of the iceberg that we understand of what God has given us, what's available to us, the unclaimed riches and unclaimed property that are in our name. And he wants to receive it, but it doesn't look like grasping. It doesn't look like, like white-knuckling it. It looks like surrendering to what God has for us. And I believe he wants us to let go, to say, into your hands, I commit. What does it look like for us to commit? We're going to take just five minutes of time in silence. Mike's going to put on some music for us like we normally do. We want to respond. We want to respond well to what God has highlighted to us. And I just, maybe there's a couple of prompts here. Maybe you just want to read over this text again and say, hey God, highlight a phrase, highlight a word, highlight something, a scripture that you have for me. Maybe it is actually something that you're feeling a nudge right now to surrender. And maybe the prayer is to you, Father, into your hands I commit like my job. Into your hands I commit my child. Into your hands I commit some area where you're grasping for control, my job, my identity, into your hands I commit. Maybe I even felt, as we're reading over the descriptions of God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, maybe you want to ask yourself, which of those names do you feel most unfamiliar which of those names do you want God to break it? Do you want to receive that into your life? I don't know what God wants to speak to you, but I do know that God wants to speak, and he speaks. I believe he's got unclaimed property for us. So let's grasp it today. Let's surrender and take hold of those. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Sanctuary Church Podcast. If we can be of any help to you, please don't hesitate to contact us at hello at sanctuarysf.com. We would love to connect. And wherever this finds you, may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father.